0: This. Hello and welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast, your podcast to those kitesurfing spots that are off the beaten track, and in case we cover a spot that is on the beaten track, we will give a new spin to it. Enjoy the show! Hello friends and welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast, the best podcast on the most amazing kitesurfing spots on the planet. My name is Björn and as always I'm recording this from the tiny landlocked country in Switzerland. Today I'm not going to say where we are going to take you today because today's episode is a little bit different. We are going to cover the discipline of long distance kitesurfing. So, in three senses, it's different. We're not going to go into a deep dive on all the specific spots what the wind conditions are there, if there are any rocks, what's the sea life, where to stay, where to eat. So, that's the first point. The second point is that we're going to split the interview into parts. After I had the discussion with Bowen, which I will introduce a little bit later, I pressed the stop button on recording software and we were two hours and 20 minutes in and I do want to be mindful of your time I know some of you or I know at least podcast listeners are listening to this on their way to work and or cooking or doing some hoovering so I want to keep the time limit on the episodes to maximum one hour so I decided to split the episodes in two parts the second part will come out in one week, so next Sunday. And the final difference is that Bowen has a very good microphone on his side, and I was lucky enough that we could use this equipment, so normally I record the Skype calls both tracks, so my track and the track from the guest on my side, and of course there you have a limit in the bandwidth that Skype provided, so a lot of audio quality gets lost, this case we did it a little bit differently, Bowen recorded the track on his side, I did on my side and he sent it to me and I mixed the two things together on my computer, which of course enhanced the audio quality uh, dramatically and I think it makes for a far better listening experience. I can't promise you that we can do that with every guest. Because there are some technical issues involved, the infrastructure and technical capabilities need to be there. Before I introduce Bowen and we get on with the interview, I have to say this is, until now, probably one of my favorite episodes. And I have to explain you a little bit the reason why it is my favorite episode and why it's not. Let's start with why it's not. The reason is not Bowen, and with all respect to Bowen, he's an extremely sympathetic guy, very generous with his time, very skillful, very knowledgeable. A guy where you want to have a beer with, talk about life, the universe, and everything, and after a couple of hours come to the conclusion that the answer is 42. But frankly speaking, I had this experience with all the guests I had on the podcast and it made me realize that there are still a thousand friends to be made in life and I'm very grateful for this recognition. Also it is not about the northeast, already saying the north of Brazil because Brazil only has an east coast, so it's a little bit redundant. It's not about the north of Brazil. The north of Brazil is probably one of the most fascinating and beautiful kitesurfing destinations on the planet. There is a good reason why so many kitesurfers travel there every year in the winter months or to go there and go kitesurfing. But again, all the other destinations we covered so far in the podcast are extremely interesting and extremely beautiful kitesurfing destination. Choose your poison, go to the desert in Oman, be secluded on the Cocos Keeling Islands, surf the rugged coast in Chile, ride the waves in Durban. You can pick your poison or the jungle in Banahatchee for that matter. Choose your poison and you can find the perfect kitesurfing destination for you. So those are not the reasons why I think this episode is so appealing to me. The reason why this episode is so appealing to me, I have to go back a little bit and tell you about the reasons why I started the podcast in the first place. Well the reason why I started this podcast in the first place are three actually. First of all I like to talk a lot. I like to talk a lot. So you shouldn't start a podcast uh, if you don't like to talk a lot. I tend to regress a lot and if you listen to one of my previous episodes you probably noticed that I do this and trust me I edit 50% of the stuff out anyway. And it gives me a reason to talk to some very interesting people that are also passionate about the sport of kitesurfing. The second reason why I do this is because I love to provide some valuable and helpful information to the kitesurfing community and I hope that although I didn't receive an iTunes review until now, and in case you're listening, please be the first one to give me, I don't even need a five-star review, just give me a four-star review on my iTunes account and uh, write a nice review. I would be really grateful for that. But I talked to some acquaintances and some friends of mine and it gave me a positive feedback about the podcast, that it helps them, that they think it covers interesting topics and it gives them ideas for potential future holiday destination. But the most important reason why I started this podcast is because as a young kid I got the travel bug and what the podcast allows me is at least in mind travel to those destinations. We all know about the two most valuable currencies in life. One is time which is the most valuable one and the other one is money and they limit us to travel each and every time. I know about school holidays where you can only travel at that time, most important one is work 9 to 5, where we can't travel at that time, and in my case often the question of money was also an issue. But with the podcast I can at least travel in mind to those places and have a real good feeling about the place we are talking about. And one of the things I love about kitesurfing, and I don't want to be arrogant about this, but I think that we as kitesurfers experience the places we go to in a far more intense way than people who would go to the same place and lie on the beach or in the hotel pool. And the reason for this is that if you want to kitesurf, you have to be aware of your surrounding and you have to be aware of the nature which is around you we have to consider the topography we have to consider the geography we have to think about the waves we have to consider potential hazards we have to consider potential dangers below the water dime sharks <laughs> or very nasty jellyfish or whatever that is floating below there this gives us the opportunity to really enjoy those spots in a far more intense way than other people would do. I think this is true also for other outdoor adventure sports, things like rock climbing or paragliding. Also there you have to be extremely aware of the environment and it forces you to really focus and concentrate on your surrounding. Now saying that, For me traveling is not the only thing and I know this might sound cliche but the journey is for me as important if sometimes not more important than the destination itself. I'm the type of guy who rather takes the boat than the plane. I also rather take the train than the plane if time and money allows for this of course. And that's also the reason why I'm such a passionate sailor because in sailing, for me at least, it's all about the journey. Planning the route to the circumstances, to the waves, to the wind, to circumstances on the boat, etc. And that makes it for me so fascinating. And honestly speaking, I'm sometimes a little bit, I wouldn't say depressed, but disappointed when I reach the final destination because the journey is over. Now, with all that said, I hope I gave you some reasons why. This episode specifically is right up my alley. Because what Bowen is describing here is not only the possibility to exercise my favorite sport, kitesurfing, not only gives me the possibility to travel to a fantastic location, but combine these things with the amazing experience of actually doing a journey using those skills and being immersed in this nature and using your skills and the nature itself to get from 8.8 to B. And this is what makes this podcast episode, until now, my really favorite one. So enough of me talking about Reader's Digest philosophy. Let me tell you a little bit about Bowen. Bowen has been an entrepreneur for all his life he sold his most recent company in 2015. He is really an outdoor adventure enthusiast. He does other things, of course, than kitesurfing. He does some trial running, he's a paraglider, he loves to do open water swimming, and he became passionate about kitesurfing roughly 10 years ago and we can say that he is a professional kitesurfer especially in the distance of long distance kitesurfing and the whole story surrounds the movie he made with surfing Sin Fin that's the topic we're going to cover a journey of 600 kilometers along the northern coast of Brazil as always in the show notes you can find a map with the timestamps there's also a map from Surfing Sin which you can check out. And most importantly, there is a link to the movie, what we talk about to a great deal in the podcast. The Surfing Sinfin movie, it's on Vimeo, you can check it out. And there's also a movie of Boven on a 5-meter kite on a foilboard in his home in the San Francisco Bay. So, without further ado, I give you Bond Welly. I'm already um, zipping the first glass of wine. Bowen is pretty on his chai lotta probably in San Francisco. Um, Bowen, tell us a little bit about your background. And um, before we start, sorry, I have to interrupt. So before we start, actually, the reason why I was made aware of you was through an other podcast, which is called the Adventure Sports Podcast where you did an interview, I think four weeks ago or five weeks ago. I don't know when they actually, uh, what the lapse was between the release. Uh, The Adventure Sports podcast, I will put um, the link in the show notes. They are a really great podcast, not about kitesurfing specifically, but about adventure sports, as the name says. And I was made aware of Bowen and I straight away thought this is great, the story he told there. So that's why I wanted to invite you on the podcast. A uh, little bit different is that this is a kitesurfing specific podcast. And Bowen, I think the first hour you spoke about explaining what kitesurfing is in the Adventure Sports podcast.
1: Yeah, that was interesting. You know, the, the Adventure Sports podcast, exactly as you said, uh, is it's not a kitesurfing specific show. Um you know the um they focus on all sorts of different adventure sports and i think primarily uh running, hiking, climbing, cycling, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's great to be on the adventure sports podcast and to talk about really what we were talking about was the long distance experience, you know, the and kitesurfing as uh as an adventure sport, as an outdoor adventure sport. um and talking about kitesurfing in a way um, in a, in a, in a different way or in a different type of kitesurfing you know so yes we we spend a lot of time um, kind of introducing the sport right for folks that don't you know that aren't familiar with it um, mm-hmm. but then also talking about again talking about it in a different way and that you know most people i think have this image of of kitesurfing as kind of a trick centric sport you know where it's all about freestyle and about specific maneuvers and jumping and that sort of thing uh, but there there are many other disciplines as with most sports there are, there are different disciplines and um you know the type of kitesurfing that I do really isn't about isn't about tricks at all it's about traveling long distances and exploring um and that sort of thing
0: I was absolutely fascinated by the interview I love to listen to the adventure sport podcast but I was absolutely fascinated with the concept of long-distance kitesurfing. I've been kitesurfing for a long time already, since 1999, and it betrays a little bit about my age. But I was never aware that this was a possibility. And you also made, or you were a participant in this great movie. I will provide the link as well in the show notes, this surfing scene sem finn movie which is surfing without end isn't it yeah Uh, right that's the portuguese uh translation of it exactly how did how did you came to participate in this movie
1: yeah yeah well, let's see Surfing Sem you know, um and then the name is yeah, it's a, it's a Portuguese kind of play on words. Uh the closest translation would be surfing without end or or like endless the endless wave, you know, or something like that, perhaps a little more uh, loosely translated. Um we um we shot this film in the summer of 2016 um and released it this year uh in 2017. The way that I came to participate in that project was through, you know, really just, you know, through friends that I met, that I've met in Brazil, uh, over the course of, um, trips down there, kite surfing trips down there. Um, uh, and, and if I go back to the beginning of that story, it was through a friend of mine here in San Francisco who, uh, introduced me to, uh, the idea of this, this kind of legendary destination. Um, the, uh, the Northeast coast of Brazil as a, as a, you know, as one of the most uh, uh, in, enchanting and enticing places to, you know, for wind sports, for kite surfing and, and, and windsurfing too. Um, and so I went down there with him uh, on a trip that was organized by, by Surfing Simphime. So there's a company called Surfing Simphime. And then this film, we also called Surfing Simphime using the same name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went on a trip with these guys and it, it was just such a fantastic experience Um <clears throat> Both physically, personally, from the point of view of the sport and and also in terms of the people that I met. And I, I really hit it off with um with the whole crew really and we became friends and started planning things together. Um and you know, that was late in twenty fifteen, I think, and so it wasn't really all that long thereafter that um that I started getting wind from them about the possibility of this project. And then uh, sometime in the spring of 2016, they uh, got a message from Brazil inviting me down there for a shoot in July. And luckily I was, uh, I was able to make it happen. This was a pretty diverse team. You actually cobbled
0: together there for the video, a very interesting set of characters
1: there were five of you weren't there uh six actually six riders six yeah yeah and you know the it's it's so cool the it's a very very active and very bright vibrant that is community of athletes in general and of kite surfers since that's what we're talking about in brazil um it it it's a huge country and you know it, it geographically is as large as the continental United States and over 200 million people there. So it makes sense that there are a lot of athletes um, and of course a huge amount of coastline and uh, kite surfing is quite a popular sport. Um, But the outdoor adventure, um, outdoor adventure athletics is, is really uh, popular. And, um, and so there, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of people involved in the sport Uh, A lot of professional athletes in various capacities. And so uh, we were able to pull together a really interesting team, you know, with, um, you know, Gilly Brandau. He's a professional wave rider. He's won the world tour uh, in kite wave. Uh, Andre Pena, who's really a professional adventurer uh, and primarily a kite surfer, uh, but also very uh, passionate about kayaking, for example, and climbing. Uh, Marco Del Pozzo, who is um, a kiter and really the, um, the surface of fame is his brainchild, his dream, you know, brought to reality. Marcella Vitt, who is also a pro kiter and a kind of a professional adventurer, traveler. Um, Andre Sintra, who is a Paralympic athlete, uh, pro snowboarder and kite surfer, uh, and myself, um, just to add a little diversity from the northern hemisphere. <laughs> you're the you're the only non-Brazilian, weren't you in the crew? Yeah, yeah, and that was quite an experience in itself. You know, I I um I am pretty good with languages, and I I have a lot of experience with. You speak Portuguese? Well, I you know I I I've, I speak a lot of uh, Romance languages. Uh, okay. You know, it helps. yeah, Italian and Spanish I have a lot of experience with, and and Portuguese is is of course different and uh regarded as uh, more difficult but um yeah i've i've come to uh have some proficiency with it now before and this is also a shout out now to
0: my listeners before you start listening to the full interview that Bo and me are going to have i would strongly advise that you watch the movie either afterwards or or preferably before and you see the very interesting and diverse uh, set of characters. Uh, uh, it's it's a really enjoyable movie, and I actually wanted to to frame the interview around the movie, if that is okay with you. So you told us this is, was not the first time you did long distance downwind, and 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 uh, you did this before in 2015 through a friend of yours, which invited you to the northeast. Um, cost of brazil but can you generally describe the journey you did uh, during the film with uh surfing sin finn what was the distance uh where were you at yeah and also i wanted to ask you what makes brazil so or the northeast of brazil better said so perfectly for this type of
1: adventures sure sure yeah um well the the concept for the film um was to document the experience of traveling by kite uh, there in in the, on the northeast coast of Brazil in the in the primary area uh, where you know where we traveled to, to for kite surfing and and that is known for kite surfing and I should say that there's another really key name in terms of in terms of the film in terms of the project you know the director Bruno Arcangelo uh Toledo she's also an adventurer herself and and a an adventure filmmaker really and so the you know the when you when you watch the film and for those of you listening i i hope that you do watch the film you know perhaps uh before you you listen to the the rest of the interview here it it's a really unique vision that she captured um and and it really was her vision you know that's what you're seeing on the screen there And so, uh, shout out to Bruno, fantastic job. And, um, so, you know, between her and, and Marco and the rest of us, um, you know, had this idea to, to capture this experience. Right. And so the, 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 the center of that region, the place that people have probably heard about the most is Jericho right? Jerry or Jerry. Um, and, and that's, it is geographically in the center of the route that we covered, Um, And that's the place that, you know, for probably 30, 40 years uh, has been a a windsurfing and kitesurfing destination. Uh, It's a small village that is um, as of I'm not sure when, perhaps as much as 20 years ago, um, is is an enclave within a national park uh, in Brazil. And so it's somewhat protected and um, it's it's fairly remote. It's about a four hour uh, drive from the nearest major airport, uh, which is Fortaleza. Yeah, which is Fortaleza. There are now other airports uh, a little bit closer in, but most people get there by flying to Fortaleza and, and and driving there. Um, and there's no paved road, so it's 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 a you know it's a bit of a four wheel drive journey to get there. These days, Jerry, you know, has been such a popular place for so long that it's it's a bit more developed, um, and so the you know, the wind sports zone, if you will, for, for kites windsurfing, kitesurfing has spread both to the east towards Fortaleza, of course, but also to the west, um, up the coast, um, and the next city up the coast is Sao Luis. Um and um going in that direction it's it's less it's even less developed. So the the zone that we covered we started in Taiba, uh, which is um, fairly close to kind of between Kumbuco and Paracuru, which are both very well-known mm-hmm. kind of spots, spots, um, closer to Fortaleza. And we passed all the way down the coast, you know, passing Jerry in the middle uh, and finished in Atins, uh, or Achins, which is a very small village, uh, 600 kilometers to the west of Taiba, And, um, Achins is basically the last village, um, before the, uh, Lensois Marañenses national park, which is itself kind of the, the gateway to, um, past that is you start to reach the city of São Luis. Okay. And that, of course, after that, the journey becomes
0: far more complicated from a logistical point of view. With land support. And-
1: the the, the geography what happens is it, you know beyond São Luis, the geography changes. Um, the the literally the physical geography of the coast. So the, the entire northeast coast of Brazil, if you go it's not the sand dunes right. Mind. I mean the, the whole northeast is this this landscape of sand dunes and river mouths uh, coming all the way from from the Cape uh, at at Natal, from the corner of the of the entire continent. But once you get past uh the lensoys it it becomes uh much more of a mangrove coast um and so it's it you know right the logistics is much more difficult uh the the tidal range is larger there are fewer roads fewer beaches and um yeah it's not as not as friendly but um,
0: maybe we can come back later in the podcast on this because you, I know you have a little project coming up in this respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the wind and time of year, so it's a typical, it's a typical trade wind destination, isn't it? So yes, it's pretty predictable far in advance, four or five days in advance. You can say if there is going to be wind or not, the wind strength between. 20 and 35 depending on the location you are. but it's a pretty stable wind isn't it or-
1: Yes, I mean that's one of the things that makes this part of the world so 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 great for kitesurfing and also that makes the long distance at least this type of downwind long distance so doable in that region and that's because it's exposed to the the Atlantic trades uh, that blow you know from the northeast, um, kind of east northeast uh, to the west, and uh, because of the angle of the coast, you end up with a, you know it's a very favorable wind angle. It's kind of side side on shore, um, and those you know, the the Atlantic trades there are they're, they're very very reliable. So basically, you know the wind season is July to December. Um, it's windy. I mean, it's it's very rare to have you. You don't really have no wind days. I mean, it it now and then, but it's it's basically windy all the time. It's just a question of how much.
0: Yeah, and you're going downwind, so um, you know the, the there's also an advantage in going downwind. You just take a bigger kite and you can go downwind. Yeah, uh, so even if it's light winds, you still are able to, to a certain extent make the journey. Maybe not the full distance, but. Uh, except when it completely dies out.
1: Yeah, you know it depends. I, 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 you know, we should definitely talk about the downwind aspect, and of course, that is what, what we're doing, uh, in this film, and that is what most people do in this region is they do downwinders, whether they're going 5k or 500k, um, and there's some things that are easier about going downwind, and there's some things that are, you know, that are more difficult or more challenging. So it, 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 it you know. It, it, it's not like going downwind just makes makes everything easier um i mean in a lot of ways you need more wind when you're going downwind because of course your apparent wind becomes less and so mm-hmm. um in you know in light if the wind gets light it can be very challenging uh just mm-hmm. to to keep going um and
0: um i mean that's a question i had maybe we we can come back to this later and it's the type of equipment you need uh, to take with you and that's the question I had if you need a little bit bigger kites actually to um, to go downwind but maybe yeah we can start Bowen if you don't mind and describe the you starting there day one sure. yeah uh, this is you did some long downwinders before was this the first time you th- you were on embarking on such an adventure for the 600 kilometers really saying okay i'm gonna do the 600 kilometers uh also including of course the the complexity of recording a movie or filming a movie at the same time or did you do such a long distance before as well
1: yeah yeah um you know i had to really think back and uh, and kind of review my experience as i was preparing to talk with you and um i mean the the where we got the idea for the film was from doing this uh once at least once before so i had done with some of the same group um more or less uh, well a very similar distance there um the the, the previous fall so in uh, in late 2015 and and that's where you know the really the intensity of that experience Led us all to think, well, we, you know, this would be a great subject for a film. Um, And so we. So sorry to interrupt you, but so you
0: actually did already a 600 kilometer or similar distance in in, uh, a kite safari before you did. uh, You started embark on this on this adventure.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, Again, I had done that distance uh, once before again with the same group before and 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 you know and so, some of them it's not something that had not been done before right we're, we're we're you know we're not saying that uh in the film i mean the the point was to document and capture the that experience uh it is a long way um but it was not the first time that we or 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 anyone else had you know covered that distance it's again because of the geography there it's it it's possible to go a very long way and there there are other people um you know to give them credit i mean there are people that have been doing even more uh, in impressive distances on the coast of brazil there uh prior to us i mean louis tapper and and andre himself uh and And others have done you know a thousand k and more yeah um what what you're what you're saying is you didn't climb the mountain at
0: everest with uh, one leg behind tied behind your back
1: <laughs> well you know again the idea was to to document the experience and we're we're building on the the foundation that um you know a whole history that was led yeah, exactly exactly um so the first day so what we we met up in in Taiba uh, which is mostly known as a freestyle spot. Um, you know, where the, like the freestyle kids go to, to do tricks in the lagoons. Um, triple handle balls Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is crazy. It's such, such a different thing, you know, to watch these kids like lining up to do circuits in the, in these lagoons. And that's awesome. You know, they're having tons of fun. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, we put in the water there. um, the first day was, uh, you know, it's kind of a warm up day, maybe 50, 60 K uh, just cruising down the coast. One of the highlights is passing Pericuru. Uh There's a nice point there. And of course, that's one of the best known kite spots also uh, on the entire coast there. And there's always a huge crowd of, you know, of kiters out there uh, on the point uh, back and forth and enjoying the wave there. And super cool to pass by there. Is the wind uh, in the first section more
0: side on, or am I missing something from the thermic?
1: Yes, it, it definitely is more side on. Even t- really until you you get to um, to Illa de Guajiru and and kind of turn the corner, turn the corner there where and then then it goes. Then you're going straight downwind. This yeah, you're absolutely right. So the first like 200 250 kilometers are more more side side on. Maybe we
0: can come back to something you mentioned before and special skills you need for um, mm-hmm. for going downwind. I looked at at, at uh, I don't think it's said on the on the website of Saint Fin, but on some there are some other companies also offering kitesurfers. Of sure, now. sure, yeah, there are. And uh, there is also a lot of stress on riding toe side. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it so important to ride toe side?
1: Um, well, you know, it, so it depends, of course, on you know what your dominant side is. Um, mm-hmm. But um, for one thing, if you're covering a long distance, right, you're going to want to be able to switch sides. Uh, so just to get the strain of your yeah of your front front leg
0: to to release the front leg or whatever leg so you just want to switch exactly
1: and and then also for you know for riding waves in a you know kind of side side on situation depending on the geography it might make more sense actually like for me you know I I ride regular foot and I often find myself you know riding waves toe side uh mm, you get into the wave toe yeah side. exactly and it went up you know in that sort of wind angle
0: exactly yeah so so that's your that's your chocolate side in that uh in that way yeah wind yeah
1: angle. yeah and then especially you know farther on uh in the trip when you're when the wind is really sideshore and so you're going dead downwind um you can you know, you, you can kind of choose almost interchangeably, you know, whether you're heel side, toe side, cause you're, you're, you're working straight downwind. What makes these long da- downwinders?
0: I know in the adventure sport podcast, you talked a little bit about that. What makes it so special for you? What is your special passion for this, these long
1: distance downwinders? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, first of all, I, well, what I talk about or, or, or what, yeah, I mean the, the the way I think about it is is the long distance experience, right? And and it's really the experience of a journey. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not necessarily. Or I think there's an important distinction to be made that it's it's not necessarily about a downwinder, because of course you can travel long distances without it being exclusively or downwind or without without you know going downwind, uh, especially when we start talking about. Foil boards, right? Uh, We we can do long crossings and even long upwind or upwind downwind journeys. Um, That said, you know this trip we're talking it is downwind, um, and so fair enough. But you know the experience of it. The first thing is, like I said, is because it's a journey, and because it, you know, when you get into something um, that happens over the course of several days, right? The, it, it, you know, the experience is just much deeper. Um, you know, when you, you go to your normal spot and ride for, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours. Okay. You have an awesome day. You're super stoked. Um, that probably, you know, carries into the evening. Um, but you know, the, the next day is another day, right? And you've probably forgotten about that session, you know? <laughs> um, and and that day the wind sucks at the same spot, so <laughs> yeah, right. Or 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 if you go back to the same spot, you you might even be kind of bored, you know, just to repeat the same thing. Um, whereas when you are riding, so first of all, I think it's riding for multiple days, you know, that's in the simplest sense. Um, but you, you're really immersed in the physical experience, right? Of of riding, of being in the water. Um, and 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 of traveling under your own power, right? And and being uh, again immersed in in nature, um, and, um, and 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 traveling through this landscape and experiencing it firsthand without any any interruption, right? So so all all of those things combined contribute to this, you know, the the, the power of the the long distance experience. Um, it must be amazing. Uh, not just the experience of the
0: downwind, but it's just this traveling. I mean, I did my downwinders, yeah, but like 10 kilometers, you can see up the bay, right. you see three, three bays upwards, yeah, and uh, they take you by car 20 minutes and then you ride the wind down and the waves down, but what you guys are doing is just fantastic, yeah um you did in the first day you did 60 but in the second day you already did 100 or was it am i mistaken you
1: know something like that i i i um you know the, the exact it the exact distances it doesn't quite but you could say there's like short medium and long days let's let's talk about it like that so so for, you know once you get used to this kind of um uh, this kind of riding a short day yeah is like 50k it's no big deal. And, it's
0: and I think it depends also very much on the conditions and the wind exactly. I mean, you can have a 60-kilometer day and and you come off the water and you're exhausted and you can have a
1: 100-kilometer day and uh, you feel fit and you want to do the next one. Sure. Of course. Of course. It absolutely depends on the conditions and, you know, right, the wind, you know, and the the waves and everything else and how much of a of a struggle it is. But in general, you know, in this part of the world... Again, with especially if you're there's also a question of you know your fitness and your 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 level of competency, you know, with with kiting, right? I'm you know not recommending that as a novice you go out there and try to do 50k, but um, you know, you, you build up to it and it also improves your skills very, very, very quickly. So we do often find that people who you know, maybe they think of, you know, they've done short downwinders of, you know, 5K, 10K, 15, something like that. And, you know, then they hear, you know, uh, people doing, you know, 50K, 100K in a day. And it just sounds, you know, maybe inconceivable, like that's such a long way. But you get used to it very quickly. And again, it, 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 that kind of writing improves your skills in real time so fast that mm. you know, most people find that by the, you know, the second day, um, they're quite comfortable riding for two or three hours continuously. And, you know, since you're covering, um, you know, 20 to 25 kilometers per hour on the map, you know, that's not speed on the water, but on the map, um, you know, 50K is, is quite reasonable to do uh, over the course of, you know, let's say two to three hours, even for, a, a, you know, kind of a, an intermediate rider. So it's not a super wavy coast, but it's still a wavy coast. I mean, the
0: the amount of time you can practice riding down the line is just phenomenal on such a long distance journey. And uh, if you do this in one spot and uh, fighting to go upwind and then having your 20 seconds of fortune riding down the line, yeah, uh, in case of doing a 50 or 60 kilometer downwind, I mean, the time of practice you get is phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it is that exactly you get a lot more wave time and you, you know, you also build these other skills of, uh, you know, managing the kite, uh, managing your, uh, your body, your, your, you know, your riding position, um, in, you know, as you come around, you know, as you, you know, you might be going down one stretch of coast, then you come to a point, you go around the point point, then you get to ride waves there for a bit on the, you know, the downwind side of the point, then you're going to go across a little bay, then you're going to cross another stretch of coast. And so, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different conditions over the course of even, you know, two or three hours. Um, And you become accustomed to like I said to traveling in that mode you know literally traveling by kite and not just riding in one spot um and 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 and, you know that's something in its yeah that's something in itself and it also it builds skills uh very quickly you know you're switching feet you're you're looping the kite um you know you're doing things that you probably would not be doing again just kind of you know riding in in one spot by itself what specific kitesurfing skills do you need for
0: do you think if you if somebody wants to endeavor on such a an adventure what what specific skills do you think are required before you start something like that except for going upwind and
1: uh... yeah yeah no yeah yeah good question um you know i i think let's see what what skills you know would i recommend that people have beforehand i think one is a, some, you know, a decent level of, of physical fitness, um, you know, kiting, kite surfing is a sport that does, you know, can be done without a, a, a very high level of fitness, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, people who don't kite, you know, they think that we're hanging on to the kites with our arms, you know, and that it requires a lot of strength when, of course, you know, we know that, like, it's a great sport for old men. And, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and, uh, and, you know, but the thing is like, if you're not really very fit, I mean, you're going to get tired, you're going to make mistakes. You're just not going to enjoy yourself. Right. So, um, I, I, for me, you know, cross training, um, you know, to improve my, my base level of fitness is, is really important. But you were a very active, you were a trial runner as well. If I uh, heard correctly from the podcast,
0: you're a long distance or an open water swimmer you do a lot of physical activity don't you did you do any specific preparation for the for the
1: for the journey or was it just your trial running open water swimming would you yeah i mean for me that's kind of you know my standard program right is to is to do do a bit of running do a bit of swimming you know kiting a lot that sort of thing so for me that 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 was enough um I wasn't really training specifically for this but you know but I'm doing a lot of stuff so my my basic level of fitness is is pretty decent um it's not exceptional you know not at all you know I'm not a you know a marathon runner or anything like that but you know so that's the first thing just some level of fitness um in terms of other skills you know equipment selection is 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 important right and 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 just being able to think about okay what kind of gear do I want to bring and and then and, and talking to other people about about the gear because if you just show up there if you're for example normally a twin tip rider um, and, and you show up with your you know your usual kit um, that's probably not going to be exactly what you want um, the kids yeah
0: what kites did you choose yeah and I saw you have a um... On the video, I so saw you chose also an interesting kite because you have no struts. You had a um, only a front loop on the kite. What kites did you choose, and why did you choose those kites
1: for, for doing the for doing the downwind? Sure, sure. Um, well, obviously, yeah, we got kites and you know and board selection. Um, you know, for me, the kites. Uh, well, the kites that I fly are, are the board riding Maui cloud kites. Um, which, um, you're right. People often notice that they're, they're uh, strutless kites. Um, of course the, you know, those of us that fly clouds, the thing that we notice about other kites are that they have these struts, they have struts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and people, people used to ask, you know, me about the clouds like, well, why, why don't they have struts? And you know, my, my, my question back is, well, like why do your kites have those extra parts that, you know, don't, aren't, aren't really needed. Um, and, and the reason that i uh chose you know those kites for this trip are be, is because i i those are the kites that i use for all the time for for all of my riding um all over the world all different types of riding uh whether I'm riding waves or or foiling or you know riding here in the bay uh here in San francisco that is or whether i'm you know overseas somewhere uh for me they're they're the best kites for me and and I've used them on many uh long distance trips now as well and they performed incredibly well in that context um in that context as well and, and and in terms of you know for travel so in terms of this kind of trip specifically um there are some specific reasons why they work well for me uh for one thing they're well they're very light and compact so they're they're great kites Ooh. to travel with and they are also very, very nimble uh and very versatile. So I can I can move the kite around, I can loop the kite, um, I can do all kinds of crazy things with, with those kites uh because because they're so nimble and so agile and so fast when I want them to be, and also so powerful, um, that um that they work fantastically well for uh for, for me for this kind of trip. So do you have the
0: feeling you get away with one less kite or one less kite size?
1: Yeah, I mean that kind of depends on the type of of trip that you're doing, right? Um, I mean, I can give you a couple of it, 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 well, that is the type of trip you're doing. In this case, right? You know, we had support, uh, we had vehicle yes. support. So, well, you know, if I have a vehicle, I you know, I bring all my kites, so I have them if I if I need them. The, then there was one case, and I think it was. Actually, the second day, um, as we were kind of proceeding down the coast, you know, we, the wind was pretty light that morning. We rigged big kites. uh, And in that case for me, I had a, my biggest kite was a 13 or 13.5. I rigged that kite and we all launched and got in the water. And I heard this kind of humming sound around me. And I realized that there was the drone pilot. One of the cameramen was flying a drone to film us. And then the next thing I knew, the drone flew straight through my kite. <laughs> like, through the kite. <laughs> um, and uh, luckily not through the tube. If only you had struts, my friend. Yeah, I, I don't think that would have helped, actually. <laughs> luckily, you know, he didn't fly it through the leading edge, right? He just threw the canopy. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, um, it killed the drone, or, you know, the drone uh, ended up at the bottom of the ocean. Um, Luckily, I was close enough to shore. I rode back to shore. I swapped the thirteen for an eight-meter kite. If you then that's a huge range, right? A huge difference. Um, and I was able to make the eight work almost as well. Um, so, the, the, the you know speaks to the power of of, of those kites and, and the range, I guess. In another situation, and this was on a different trip on the the same coast, um, you know, on an unsupported trip. Uh, where I traveled uh, from from Natal to just about to Fortaleza um, by kite w- without any vehicle support at all. I did just bring one kite, and in that case, I just had my um, I guess it was an eight-five, uh, so a single kite for the entire trip. I, I didn't have the option of of carrying anything else, and uh, it worked fantastically well the whole time
0: uh this brings me back to a question or or a topic we did discuss. do you think you can get away with a smaller range of kites on such because we're talking downwinders now you think you can get away with a smaller number of kites because you're going downwind meaning you have to pull the kite a little bit more um you have to loop it to go downwind but yeah i um the the, the, the danger of being completely overpowered is less
1: yeah. You know, now that you you, you ask me again, I, I think that you I think that you can. I mean, if I had to take one kite, I would take like an eight, you know, an eight or, a, eight, eight, or eight or a nine. nine, nine exactly. Yeah. And and it's it's kind of scary to go out in the water. You know, if it's blowing 30 knots, you know, with an eight or a nine meter kite. But it's true. If you're going straight downwind, it, you can make it work. Did you have a um, an oversized bar, or did you use
0: normal bars? The reason I'm asking is, um, I saw that in certain instances you had to pull a lot and do loops on the kite. Did you use an extraordinary large bar, or did you just use the standard bars?
1: No, I I, I use the same the same bar, and I I use the you know the 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 BRM. Uh, bar that you know is matched to those kites and it's it, there's just one size and I, I use that bar with all the kites
0: no because you know on the I, I I fly some rpns and and on the eight for instance we have a super small bar and sometimes it annoys me to death because uh if the wind is just on the edge uh, i'm pulling myself yeah uh, a leg and an arm just to get the kite moving but okay so you just
1: use the standard you standard yeah standard bar. yeah i mean that's just part of the you know greg's you know greg drexler the designer uh the, the you know his philosophy you know s- simplicity um, wins and i i'm i'm a i'm a believer as well you know keep it simple boards uh, whatever yeah. anyway the topic yeah, of, yeah.
0: of um of 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 equipment Sure. <laughs> yeah, I saw you guys riding, I want to get, I want to keep the topic of the foil boards for a little sure. bit later in the interview. Yep. I saw most of you were riding the waveboard except for the Paralympic um, Yeah, for I forgot his Andrei, name. Andrei yeah. yeah. Andre and Andre was riding most of the time um, uh, was riding a freestyle board or a, bi- a bidirectional. At a certain point in time, he, he was riding as well. I saw uh, on a waveboard strapless, which is actually quite a feat, no pun intended, with um, with a prosthesis on.
1: I think I think he always had straps. Uh, I, 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 I I may be wrong, but I uh, that's right because he has a you know one prosthetic leg, uh, and so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he, whether it's a waveboard or, you know, otherwise he's got straps.
0: You were riding, most of the time you were riding waveboards um, uh, down the coast. Uh, wh- what was the reason for that? The, what do you think are the advantages? Yeah, yeah, sure. And please exclude the foils yeah, yeah. because
1: I want to come to this a little bit later in the interview. Well, for, you know, the, the board that I brought uh, was, you know, my strapless waveboard. It's just kind of my, the main board that I ride. Um and, um, I've been riding strapless pretty, you know, pretty much since I started kiting. I mean, when I started kiting that, that, that's what I saw that I, that inspired me to, it was, was strapless, you know, wave riding. And that's, that's how I learned. Uh, I learned here on the coast of California, uh, in the surf strapless. Um, and so to, for me, that's just the natural way to ride. Th- there are some definite, advantages and disadvantages to doing this, you know, doing long distance strapless. It's definitely more, Mm -hmm. it's more tiring in some ways, you know, to, to ride strapless for long distances because, you know, you, you, you can't just relax, you know, in a lot of places, uh, in the same way that you can, when you have straps, right. You can just kind of give yourself a little bit of a mental break when you have, um, when you're, when you're strapped in and um you know on the other hand it's easier to switch your feet you know greater sense of freedom and sure. also when you know if the wind varies right it, it's very helpful for me to be able to move my feet around um yes put the board more flex. exactly exactly um so i, I you know i choose to do these trips without straps but especially for people who are a little bit less experienced um you know Straps don't hurt, and hey, you can always take them off, you know. So, <laughs>
0: but would you say waveboard? Because yeah,
1: I mean, what I
0: saw on the um, on the videos, I mean, there is a sweet spot as well because the waves are they're not tremendously no, big. No. As generally small. Yeah, and they're not, they're not like um, Cape Town or 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 yeah, or uh, certain certain parts in uh, in California. So you have a sweet spot very close to the to the beach as well where you can rest on your twin tip which you can't um uh, which you can't do on your waveboard you can ride really close to the oh shore. i see you, yeah that's that's right and and you have this flat water spot just uh, the, the first 10 meters of the of the of the surf
1: yeah i mean and i've you know i just never ride twin tip myself it was never my thing and so i don't i don't even own one uh but there are uh i've been on trips long distance trips with people who you know pro freestyle riders who uh just do it like yeah that. i mean i was on a another one of these trips uh with uh, reno Romero and uh, alex Neto, two you know brazilian pro riders and those guys were just killing it doing freestyle like huge airs all the way down the coast they're riding it like you said like right next to the beach and these little flats and they're you know they're like jumping from you know, over the sandbar into the river and back out to the ocean. I mean, so yeah, man, go for it. I mean, bring both. You know, if you're if you if you ride both, bring both. We're at day number two. <laughs> We're one hour. In. <laughs> it's a long Maybe trip, you
0: have man. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> no, we we asked some questions. Well, I asked some questions already at the moment. So, so tell me, um, day number three. Yeah.
1: What was it all about? was a pretty long day actually um it was a long day it was yeah a, it was more than it was about than 100, 100 and, yeah 100 or 120k actually and that's a really cool stretch actually um there's there are a couple there's a few river mouths um and you know if you've never been to the coast of the this coast of brazil the northeast coast of brazil the geography is it's just stunning it's so beautiful and so unique it The combination of the sand dunes coming down to the sea and then rivers coming out through the sand dunes and and then the river mouths, um, which often are quite complicated because, you know, they're lagoons and they get blocked off and they, you know, the rivers kind of change direction. And so it creates this this little mini, um, you know, this whole area of lagoons and dunes and, and river mouths that you can explore by kite as you travel down the coast, the landscape is just, is incredible. Um, and this is one of those areas where you you really start to see that you, you um, you come down to uh, what what's called Illa de Guajiru, um, where you can uh, go from the ocean into a river mouth. And then you're behind the, the barrier Island, right. And you're in this, you know, flat water and mangroves and, beautiful sunshine. And then you start to see other kites, you know, and in, it in, in spots like this, um, where the road comes out to meet the sea. And, you know, you're ripping down the coast with your crew and pass through, uh, you know, 20, 30, 50 other kites and you exchange, you know, high fives and shouts with everybody, maybe stop to have, you know, drink some water, have a snack and then carry on. So, um, that's a, a real highlight of that stretch. And then you have this, man, then, you know, then we realized, in fact, we did stop at the Guajiru there. And uh, then we realized, you know, how much more distance we still had to cover to get to Preah. <laughs> and uh, it's a little bit daunting. You know, you see the sun already, you know, in the you know later part of the afternoon. And you just got to uh, put the hammer down and make some time. And that's where you know, the speed over ground really comes into play, you know, and, and we, we, you know, we think we're going fast, um, when we're, you know, when we're kiting, but even when you're going downwind, you know, you're not going straight downwind. And so whatever your speed over the water is, which might be, you know, let's say 30 KPH, you're, you're not making 30 kilometers per hour on the map. Um, because again, even, even going straight downwind, you're actually tacking downwind and, you know, there are other things that come into play. And so you're on a, you're on a broad reach all the time. Yeah, exactly. You're on a broad reach. And, um, and then, you know, because you're in a group, you know, we're looking out for each other. And so sometimes someone has a little issue or, or something. And so you have to stop here and there, or, or at least, you know, kind of circle up on the water and wait for somebody or or something like that. And so, you know, a fast group, Uh, My rule of thumb is that, like, a slow group, you know, you're probably moving about 20 kph on the map. Um, A fast group where everybody's experienced and is, is, you know, they're pushing, you can do 25 kph on the map. Um, And, you know, if you just have maybe one person alone or two people who are really, really motoring you know, you can, you can cover 30 KPH perhaps, uh, again, yeah, but that's fast. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we had a lot, lot of ground to cover. And that evening, uh, when we finally arrived at, uh, Rancho de Peche, the, the, um, this beautiful hotel, hotel there in Prea, uh, the sun was down. The sun had been below the horizon already for, you know, third, 20, 30 minutes. And in that part of the world, uh, you know, the sun goes down. It's it gets dark pretty quick. So the the sun was down and the moon was up behind me, <laughs> and it, it was the very last you know maybe ten minutes of light at all. And and uh, when when I we we arrived there in it was you know which was awesome. You know, but you're, you're very conscious of it getting dark when you're out on the water. <laughs> but it's
0: but it provided I think for one of the. Um best scenes in the movie actually
1: yeah yeah and and it you know it wasn't planned really <laughs> necessarily yeah. you,
0: if i remember correctly you're all sitting on the beach congratulating each other as you made it and the sun is just oh, you just see it sinking um it's just going down it's just really the last moment it's, it makes for a very yeah. very beautiful scene i think in the movie yeah
1: it, it, it was a very beautiful you know scene literally and um we were all just very happy to have made it there and we you know it's a long day on the water we were exhausted and uh and also you know marco's family was there to meet him and so he was very happy to see his his wife and and uh, his kids there so that was that was part of that the end of the day too and on top of that i think um
0: you're you're talking about speed off ground but you probably had to stop along the way couple of times for some drum footage and some 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 film documentaries as well, wasn't it?
1: That's exactly right. you know um, even in a normal day, right? I mean that that uh, distance that day I think was 100 or 120k. And so even in a normal day, that's a long way. That's a long distance to cover. Um, and then when you add the time required to actually capture any of that on film, it, it, you know, that's what that's why we arrived after dark, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. OK, uh, on day three, no drones were
0: flying through a kite, hopefully.
1: No, that was a one time thing. Um, and, you know, what was amazing about that is like was when that happened. Like I said, I went back to the beach. I handed the big kite to someone and we sent it on. We 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 put, we gave it to some kid with a motorcycle. He drove the kite. To praya to where you know we were going to arrive that evening. And by the next morning, by the morning of day four, the kite was fixed. Good as new. Yep. And that's
0: where I decided to cut off part number one. Part number two will follow in one week. And I hope you listen to that again. With that said, take care.
1: Dick did, did, it Oh, I see